Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. Elm City Church is a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together. No matter where you're at, these messages are meant to equip and strengthen you for the journey. You can find out more by visiting elmcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. So in in a few moments, we're going to head into a time of communion. We celebrate this regularly as a church. We usually do it on the first Sunday of the month. And when we take communion together, what we do is we remember Jesus' death on our behalf and we celebrate the gospel. It's one way we tell this story over and over again and and rehearse it. Um, There was once a a conference on comparative religions. And so there's there's a group of professors trying to discuss, okay, what, what, if anything, is Christianity's unique contribution to religion? And they were going back and forth, and they were coming up with some ideas. But uh, halfway through the conversation, in walked into the room C.S. Lewis. And he's like, what are you guys talking about? And they told him, and he goes, oh, that's easy. Grace. Grace is a thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. And I thought about that. I'm like, it's so true. So in closing, I want to I share with you what this story of the gospel is, the good news, in a little bit more of an extended version than just a quick, a quick snippet. Here is the story of why grace separates Christianity from every other religion. And this story, the story of the gospel, doesn't start with us. It starts with God. It starts with this understanding that there is a God who is creator, who is holy, who is different than all of us. And that in his nature, he is both holy and loving. So when we talk about God being holy, we are singing in our songs. It means both has the idea that God is perfect, but it also means that he is qualitatively different and set apart than anything else. The good news of the gospel starts with God. But not only are we not perfect, we're people who consistently choose to sin. We are people who consistently do things that break God's law. And because sin is an assault on perfection, God's holiness demands that sin is destroyed. God is holy, but he is also love. And these two parts of his nature, God's holiness and God's love, they're not at odds with each other. They are, they are fully integrated. You know, God is not made up of a bunch of little pieces. He is one. And so when we talk about God being holy and God being loving, those, those two parts of his, of his character are totally in sync with each other. So there's God, and God is not just holy. He is creator and lawgiver, and and, and here's what that means. He he created everything. He is the one who ordered the universe, and that means he set up the laws for it. And these laws are not arbitrary things, but rather they just flow out of his character. So whatever God says is right and wrong, by by definition is right and wrong, because he he, he can't err. And, and so his laws flow out of who he is. So what he says is the standard is always right. So we either obey or disobey God's laws. And again, I think sometimes it's just helpful to just get that simple. Because there's no loopholes. There's no, there's, no, there's no gray area in this. You know, God as the lawgiver has his, has his laws, and we either break them or keep them. And, and when we sin, when we lie, when we hurt others with our words... Here's the thing. We're not just sinning against somebody else. So, so when you do something, you sin against somebody. You are sinning against them, but you're also sinning against God because he is the one whose law you have broken. 
and the penalty for breaking God's law is severe. Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. So think about wages. Wages are punishment or consequences. So the punishment or consequences for breaking God's law is death, is separation from him. And this is not just a potential possibility. It's an inevitability. Again, if you think about we start with this is who God is. There's not like these people are exempt, these people are exempt. It's like, no, this is just how things work. It's not a possibility. It's an inevitability. And so this leaves us in kind of a difficult situation. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. Probably most of you, I would say close to 100% of you in here are also not perfect, are sinners like me. Uh, And think about this word sin. It's one we use. It really just means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. So think about a bullseye on, on a target. To sin is to miss the mark, is to miss that bullseye. And so it really, it doesn't matter by how much you miss it by. You miss it by a little bit or by a lot. But if you miss it, you've missed the mark. And so some people miss it by more than others, but on our own, everybody misses it, which is what Romans 3.23 says. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. All of us, by our lives, have missed the mark, and there's nothing we can do to fix that. But God, in his love, he said he's not just holy. He doesn't just hold us to a... It would be really tough if God was just holy, because then we just have a standard that we all fall short of and have no way of getting to but because God is love, in his love, he prepared us a way of escape. Long ago, recorded in the, in the Old Testament, God said that the payment for wrongdoing could be covered through the death of an animal. Our rebellion deserved death, but God's love allowed our sin to be covered by sacrifice of an animal as a substitute. And while that might sound strange and barbaric to our modern ears of what, you know, what's up with that, It served a very important point, and it's this. God wanted people to see the severity of their sin, that breaking God's law and rebelling against him was a big deal. And so the payment provided for sin was messy, gruesome, and costly because sin is messy, gruesome, and costly. That, that, that That is why. And you couldn't just sacrifice any old animal. You couldn't be like, well, that one's getting old and is blind, and I don't really use it anymore. No, you, you were called to give your best. It was said that this animal had to be spotless without blemish, and here's why. Uh, has anyone ever heard of the term scapegoat? A, a scapegoat? Probably we're somewhat familiar with it, but a scapegoat is, it's been used to refer to someone who takes the blame for somebody else, but it's actually a term that comes from the Bible, and this is what would happen. Every year on the Day of Atonement, you know, a priest would lay his hands on a goat, and he, would, they, and he would confess the sins of the nation and symbolically transfer it to the goat that was as perfect and spotless as an animal could be, with the symbol of the guilty party transferring its sins onto an innocent party, and then that goat was punished for the sins of the people. That was what the term scapegoat meant. Um, and so that was, for a while, how sin was atoned for. And this is where we come to Jesus. And this is why Jesus is such good news. Because the book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us that the sacrificial system, that whole process, didn't actually like, wipe, away, wipe away our sins. What it did was it was a symbol and a picture that pointed us forward to Jesus, who was going to be the, the, he, who himself was the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. 
So John the Baptist, the person who was tasked with telling everybody about Jesus coming, uh, when he saw Jesus, he said this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God, the, the one that was going to be the perfect sacrifice that's going to take away the sin of the world. What happened, and this is what just gets me when I, when I think about it. On the cross, what happened is Jesus became our scapegoat. That is why we, we, we talk about this. And this is why Christianity stresses that Jesus was perfect and never sinned. That he was fully God and fully man. Because fully man, he was the only person who lived that perfect life that could actually take our place, that wouldn't be punished for his own sin. And as God, in a sense, he was the only one strong enough to carry the heavy burden of not just Israel's sins, but everybody's sins. Jesus came to be our perfect scapegoat. And on the cross, we see God's holiness and his love coming together perfectly. And because God is holy, he couldn't just say, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Because if he did, that would make him unjust and he would cease to be God. He was incapable of just brushing sin aside and saying it's not, it's not a big deal. But in his love, he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He became our scapegoat. The once and for all perfect, never needing to be done again sacrifice for our sins. And the cross makes a point that the sacrificial system never could. If, if, if the idea of an animal having to die to cover our sins offends you and seems gruesome, like, one sense I get it. But think about it. If it took more than just an animal, if it took the perfect son of God having to die instead of an animal to actually take the penalty of our sins away, how much does that one say about our sin and how like, damaging and destructive it is? But then how much does it tell us about how much God loves us? Huh. Tim Keller, who always has great, has great lines, he talks about how there's some people who, and I get are offended by the idea that there needs to be a payment for sin. Why can't God just love you without that? And he says, okay, the God that doesn't you know, ask for payment for sin, how much did his love cost him? It doesn't cost him anything to just forgive it and say it's no big deal. But the God who is willing to die in your place and take on your sins, think about how much that love cost him. That's how much God loves you. And so, uh, the, uh, Jesus took the sacrifice of Jesus himself to cover our sins, and on the third day, to prove the sacrifice was accepted, he rose. And so this is where grace comes in. We started with what makes Christianity different. It's grace. Think about this. Grace is a gift that is freely given and totally undeserved. So apart from God's grace, each and every one of us would just have to pay the, the, the wages for our sin. This is what Romans 6.23 says. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the thing about a gift. You can't earn it. You cannot do anything to earn a gift because if you do something to earn it, it's not a gift, it's payment. We get that. Like someone, someone, If you have to work for your Christmas gift, it's not a gift, it's payment. <laughs> so if we have to work for grace, it's not free. It's something we've earned. So here is just kind of my question. Have you received God's free gift of salvation? Have, have, have you trusted in what Christ has done on your behalf? Because again, a gift is only good if you accept it. You can come to church. You can believe there's a God. You can you know, do your best to try, to try to be a good person. 
None of those are bad things. But none of those can pay for your sin. And so the gift of salvation that we talk about is only valuable if you accept it. So the question is, have you personally accepted God's free gift, salvation? And and I want to ask you this with the same urgency the the Apostle Paul did in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He was writing to a church and he says this. He was talking about him and someone else. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, God is making his appeal to you through us. So therefore, because of this, we implore you. It's that same word that Jesus used, beg. We beg you on behalf of Christ. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And if you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm not trying to say this in any way where it's any type of guilt or manipulation because that doesn't work. But with the same urgency as the Apostle Paul, I want to implore, I want to beg you, be reconciled to God because he has provided a way. And if you believe this is true, don't wait. Confess, repent, and believe in the good news. So to confess is just declare what is true. To confess, declare what is true about yourself. I'm a sinner who falls short. And declare what is true about God, that he's a holy God who, who, we, who, we, have, who we have wronged, who we have sinned against. And repent. Repent just means a change of direction. So stop walking away from God and turn towards him and believe that is place your faith that what Jesus did was sufficient for your salvation, that he really did live that perfect life, that he was our scapegoat who took our place on the cross and place your trust in him. That is the best thing you could ever do. And one way you can do that, maybe you walked in here this morning, you're like, I didn't know what to expect. I certainly didn't expect this. That's okay. Maybe, you, maybe this is exactly where God wanted you this morning because he wanted you to hear this message because he wanted you to accept him and change your eternity. And one way you can do that is just calling out to God through prayer. And I always am clear when I, when I kind of give even some sort of prayer of response that a prayer doesn't save you. It's not some magical thing you say. What saves you is your faith in Jesus. And a prayer is just one way you verbalize it. There's no magic formula, but maybe you're here like, I don't, want to, I don't want to bring you all the way here and be like, that's great news, what do I do about it? Well, here is a way that you can, you can respond. It's a prayer. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but I invite you to pray with me uh, if, if, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. As dear God, you can just, in your own words, I know I'm a sinner. I've come to believe that my sin has separated me from you, and I also know that my sin must be punished. I now believe that Jesus took that punishment when he died in my place on a cross and rose again. Right now, I trust Jesus alone as my Savior. Thank you for accepting me and for the forgiveness and eternal life I now have. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want you to raise your hand or anything like that. But come and tell someone. Tell, tell me or Justin. Send us an email. We'd love, we'd love to celebrate you because it's just, just the beginning. It's not just, hey, just say this thing and you're safe. It's like, no. God is calling you into a life of new life with him.